Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. I want to talk, maybe this will run into three different sessions with you, about how false teachers are attacking the Bible, attacking the Lord Jesus Christ, and attacking the church as three of their fundamental attacks against what we have come to believe from the Bible. I hope that tonight we're all committed to the Bible, and that when we leave, we'll be more committed to the Bible. We are betting our lives in this world, every aspect of those lives, from marriage to child training to church worship to how we treat civil authorities and everything in between. The Bible tells us what the Lord wants us to do, what the God of heaven wants us to do, and then it tells us what is coming after death and how our trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ for that without popes or priests or sacraments. Attacking the Bible is the title of our study for tonight. It's a real issue of thinking about false teachers, and so I want us to think about false teachers tonight from the standpoint of how they attack the Bible. We're Bible Christians, and let's start with that fundamental premise. We only know Jesus Christ by the Bible. It is very hard to know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ without the written Scriptures. In John 5.39, Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The Bible is a written record of Jesus of Nazareth, and God so arranged things that there is not much of a historical record of Jesus of Nazareth. You know, we can read about men even before Jesus Christ in natural and world history, but there's very little about Jesus Christ. It's in the Bible. So we start with the Bible. We're Bible Christians, meaning that we start with the Bible and we worship Jesus Christ according to the Bible. Faith assumes that God exists and the Bible is His Word. Those are two fundamental aspects of faith, that there is a Creator God and that He wrote the Bible. And of course, We have a document on our website entitled, Why I Believe the Bible is God's Word. And it's not about Bible versions, it's about evidence inside the Bible and outside the Bible that it is truly God's book. The Bible reveals the details about God and His will. The Bible reveals all that we should believe and do. And so we're Bible Christians. We are fully committed, and I hope that I speak for all of you, fully committed to the Bible against all men. No matter how many of them might amass themselves against us, and no matter how popular their ideas, philosophies, and attacks might become, and how no matter how subtle they might be, we are going to stick with the Word of God. And that is a fundamental aspect and an important assumption and presupposition of our church. We are Bible Christians. Let's talk about the glory of the Bible. David wrote, I will worship toward thy holy temple. And praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Thank you, Lord, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. That's how glorious the Bible is to God himself. He showeth his word unto Jacob. Only the nation of Israel had the scriptures, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation, any other nation other than Israel, And as for his judgments, they have not known them. The judgments being 
what is determined to be right and wrong in the Bible. And so this is the glory of the Bible. God said it was exalted above His name and He only gave it to His chosen people, the church of the Old Testament. The authority of the Bible. To the law and to the testimony, Isaiah wrote, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. If someone says something different than the Bible, the Bible says that we should say about them and believe about them, there is no light in them. They're all darkness. We know this one very well. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. That is, the commandments are ever with me. Because I keep God's commandments with me all the time, I'm wiser than my enemies. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. These three verses are wonderful, especially for young men. For young men to get a hold of this, that if you'll learn God's Word and meditate upon it and keep its precepts, it'll make you wiser than your enemies, your teachers, and the ancients. The sages of old. You'll have an advantage. You'll have the upper hand because of the Word of God. The power of the Bible. Jesus answered him saying, that is the devil. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Every word of God in the Scriptures provides life. Spiritual life and spiritual nourishment for the child of God. Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. There's power in the scriptures in that they work effectually in converting a person. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It works effectually in those that believe it. The sufficiency of the Bible. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Truly furnished unto all good works. So how many liturgical manuals does a minister need? All he needs is the Word of God. What a wonderful book. The sufficiency of Scripture. I have seen an end of all perfection, David said. As a king, he had seen and and he had he had found faults and flaws with every one that he met in life and everything that had ever been constructed by man but he had this to say about God's word thy commandment is exceeding broad it just keeps going and going and i can't get the full dimensions of it and it's beyond perfection and so it's the sufficiency of the bible the closing of the bible you know the bible says that we are to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. It's not in the process of being delivered. It's not going to be delivered again. There's no additional books to be added to the 66 in our canon of Scripture. In Revelation 22, some of the last verses of the Bible, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. The Scriptures were closed. And if any man shall take away 
From the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away His part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. All the good things that are written in the book. It's closed. The revelation from God has been closed for 2,000 years. Here's the confidence that we should have in it. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Every thought of man is vain. Psalm 94 tells us that. But thy law do I love. You read the newspaper, you go to the internet, you listen to somebody, uh, you radio, news anchors, whoever they are, they don't know what they're talking about. Their thoughts are vain. But thy law do I love because it's the mind of God on paper. God has revealed himself to us. It's the truth. Not only should we believe it, we should embrace it and be passionate about it. I hope that we can be as passionate about the word of God as these other millions out there are passionate about the word of faith from their Kenneth Hagin's, Kenneth Copeland's, Joel Osteen's, and others. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. God's word gives light and gives understanding. It's, we have, we should have confidence in it. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. I thank the God of heaven for 1983 and 1984 in my life in preparing me for the ministry with 2 Peter 1.19. The Lord just blessed me with that passage and you've heard it from me many times. This context is Peter writing describing having been on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17 when Jesus Christ was glorified and Moses and Elijah appeared and talked with him and God's voice thundered from heaven, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. Because Peter opened his mouth and said, Hey Lord, it's pretty cool that we're here. We'd like to build three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So God had to say, Hear my Son. Well, Peter recounted that event in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18. And then he said, we have also, do you know what that, do you know what that means to me right there? They can talk about their dreams and their visions and everything they want to talk about. We have something more sure. It's God in writing. You know, when they get in the pulpit, especially Jesse Duplantis, and he opens his mouth, he's going to lie to you. The only thing he's ever said is a lie. And millions believe it. Even if a person were to see God, which Jesse Duplantis has never seen him or anything like him, except the God of this world, but we're not talking about that. We have something more sure. What a wonderful text. We're talking about the confidence we ought to have in the Bible, the necessity of the Bible. Same verse, but notice what it said next. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. The word of God that is more sure than God's voice from heaven is something that we should take heed to because it is a light that is shining in a dark place. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The necessity of the Bible. Without the Bible, we're not going to hear. And without hearing, we're not going to have an increase in our faith or instruction for our faith. The neglect of the Bible is what's taking place right now. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I... Notice that it is God that sends this. I will send a famine in the land. I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Credible, powerful text. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. 
And people today go from one big crusades type service or one big church service to another. They get online, they go from website to another website, searching for the truth and they can't find it. There's starvation, the neglect of the Bible, because they've rejected it. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 30 said, Now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book. Write it in a table, note it in a book. That's what we have. We have something in writing. That it may be for the time to come forever and ever, even 2014, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. They will not. It's rejection of the Bible. They will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, these are their pastors, see not. Don't prophesy to us. Don't teach us. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Go ahead and tell us lies. We just want to hear something good this morning. Just put a sugar cube on my tongue. But don't bother me with negative thinking and condemnation from the Bible. Get you out of the way. This is the people of Israel. This is the church. These are the Christians, if you'll allow me to use that word, in the Old Testament, telling their teachers, get you out of the way. Don't stay in that old traditional way of worshiping God that way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. We don't want to see that God anymore. You know, the Bible tells us to seek for the old paths and to walk therein. These people say for the teachers to get out of the old paths and to come up with something new, even if it's lies, just make us happy. Just make us feel good. Oh, we're living there. You know, the Bible is as relevant as a book can ever be. God was able to address every generation of mankind with the Word of God. The rejection of the Bible. And so it's been replaced. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves, and there's a heap of them today, teachers having itching ears. They just want to hear something new that will that will satisfy them like an itch being scratched. They have itching ears, and they want those lusts of theirs that are right here to be scratched by these teachers that will just make them feel good and allow them to live any way they want to and promise them that they're going to get rich, they're going to be healthy and wealthy and happy for the rest of their lives just by coughing up some money every time they get in the big house. And they shall turn away. These are the people. The people shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. See, in Isaiah chapter 30, it was lies. Here it's fables. It doesn't make any difference. They don't want the truth. They want to lie. Notice where the teachers come from. They are heaped together by the hearers because they flock after them. They'll raise up anybody. They'll listen to anybody as long as that anybody will tell them that they are just fine and they're going to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. Not giving heed to Jewish fables. Here it is again in the New Testament. And commandments of men that turn from the truth. Notice, this generation is fulfilling this better than any generation we can read about in the mass exodus away from the truth and poured fables. Well, there's our Bible, the glory of it, the power of it, the confidence we should have in it, its authority, the fact that it's closed and 
And our church is based on it because we're Bible Christians. Let me tell you briefly about this man. From time to time over the next few weeks, I'm going to tell you about a few men that you ought to know about just a little tiny bit. This man is William Branham. He got the wave of healing going. One of the greatest healers ever, as admitted by the Pentecostals and Charismatics, just after World War II. When I was 19 years old, I went to a Pentecostal church because of some of my wife's relatives and went there. And they lived very conservatively and they were very sincere about their love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were worshipers of William Branham. They sent me home with some books and I read them when I was 19 years old. This is a pillar of fire that is over his head. This picture is very popular. He supposedly healed all kinds of people. He considered himself Elijah the prophet from Malachi chapter 4 and his followers considered him that. He hated the doctrine of the Trinity. It's the oneness doctrine. Jesus is just operating in three different modes. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He believed in the two seed and the spirit heresy. That is that Eve eating the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was having sex with the devil so that Cain was the child of the devil. There's a, there's a lot of people that believe that. A couple million in the United States that um, Jews are children of the devil by sex between Satan and Eve. Adam and Eve had sex for Abel and then Adam and Eve had sex for Seth to replace Abel. He predicted for 30 years that 1977 would be the end of the world, but you know it's 2014 now, so he was off a little there. If you read anything about him, he's always going to tell you that he, he was never able to do anything. He couldn't preach. He couldn't do a miracle. He couldn't speak in tongues without his angel with him. Always his angel. Does anyone think of a passage of Scripture that comes to mind? Like 2 Corinthians chapter 11? And no wonder Satan is able to turn himself into an angel of light. He believed that the Zodiac and the Great Pyramid were the providers of wisdom before the Scriptures were written. A couple million people in the world still follow this man, and they follow him rabidly. William Branham got the healing crusade going. We had a member of this church that some of you older members communed with that went and joined a William Branham church after... He was excluded from this church. Some of you older people will remember Catherine Kuhlman. Catherine Kuhlman was a devil-possessed witch that practiced as a healer among for the Pentecostals and Charismatics. Millions heard her. She had a television program. She started preaching as a teen. She went to a Baptist church, was converted, went to a Baptist seminary. You can imagine what kind of a Baptist church in 1920 would allow a woman into a seminary and ordained her. But people started getting healed under her ministry. She was phenomenal. She wore a white dress. She staged a whole show. If you went to a Catherine Kuhlman performance, everything was staged for that moment when she was going to come out and sing I Believe in Miracles, just like Benny Hinn does, because Benny got a lot of his ideas on how to stage a presentation from Catherine Kuhlman. Benny Hinn has gone and prayed at her grave and been anointed there, by the power of the devil in a cemetery because of Catherine Kuhlman. She wore a white dress. You know where Benny got the idea for his white suit. She popularized being slain in the spirit way back in the 1940s and 50s. She introduced holy laughter, just hilariously laughing and going crazy doing it while under the so-called influence of the Holy Spirit. She craved Catholics. If she could have 40 priests on the stage with her in their clerical robes when she was having a crusade, she felt the most confident. This is 
she has declared this. This has been written about her. She loved Catholics. Pope Paul VI blessed her and gave her a memento for her ministry. That says so, so much to know that, to know those things. Catherine Kuhlman. Is there anyone in here that's ever heard the name before? I know. Okay, everyone that's a little bit older. She was a female Benny Hinn of that generation. Oh, this guy. Now, I, I let you learn about this guy a little bit about a year or two ago when I sent you a clip about him going to heaven. Do you remember the guy that said that God was sitting on his throne and his finger, this, this is Jesse, his fingers would twitch. And every time they twitched, angels would get thrown against the wall. But they never got hurt. Because Jesse was in heaven talking to his bud Jesus and David and Moses were on both sides of him. And he was just having a good time up there. This is the funniest guy in America. There is no, there's no one that can compete with him. This guy testifies that he's made the God of heaven laugh so hard he could hardly stand it. Because that's his gift from God is to make people laugh. All he does is tell outrageous stories. It's, it's unbelievable. But millions pay him and pay him and pay him again to do this. He chats, God casually chats with him all the time. His, a sermon to him is just telling the audience about the chit-chats that he's had over the past week with God. You know, he'll get in his car and God will say, you make sure you park that thing at your house. I don't want you to park that at my house because I don't want people to think I'm that poor. And he just goes on and on like that, getting them to cough up their money and that Christians should all be rich. How can anybody believe the guy? He's nothing but a bag of lies and outrageous ones. It's not like the lie of eternal sonship versus incarnate sonship, which takes a measure of Bible study to be able to see the truth about it. It's just flat out ridiculous, atrocious, blasphemous statements about God, heaven, Jesus, and the saints. The word of faith and the gospel of greed. He makes Benny Hinn look like a theologian. When you listen to Jesse Duplantis, it's the most ridiculous lies ever told. And how can millions believe him but by the power of the devil? Now, right now, let's, let me introduce something to you because I want you to learn about it and, and remember it. The Word of Faith movement is uh, near a 100 years old. Word of Faith means that if you'll believe something and if you'll speak it, it will happen. It's called the Name It and Claim It Gospel by its enemies. There are hundreds of these teachers. Joel Osteen is one of their biggest ones today. Word of faith, or it's just called word faith movement. If you'll speak the words, it will happen. Joel will just get up there and say, I am beautiful, I am intelligent, I am powerful, I am blessed, I am successful. Because if you'll say those words, that is what will happen to you. If you're around those people and you try to say something like, I don't feel very good today, they'll cut you off. Don't you give the devil a place in your life? Say that you feel great, and you will. And Kenneth Hagin would lie about stuff like that perpetually. You know, until they die, then they can't say, I'm alive anymore. It's unbelievable. Name it and claim it gospel is what those on our side of the road would call it. It's technically called the Word of Faith movement. Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagin, Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn, But Joel's the best. 
God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. And all you've got to do is believe it and say it. Now say it with me, folks. I am beautiful. I am handsome. I am powerful. I am intelligent. And you know, you get a group of people doing that, and it's just as good as Heil Hitler. It's crowd manipulation. In the idea of everybody being healthy, wealthy, and happy. But that's called the Word of Faith movement. You can go home, punch it into a Google search box, Wikipedia, and thousands of articles will follow about the Word of Faith. Here's Joyce Myers. We start out with her dyke or butch haircut, whichever you want, whichever word you prefer for uh, the hair that she's got or the hair that she doesn't have. So we start out right there because of what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says that the woman's hair is given to her for a covering and a long hair is her glory. She rejects 1 Timothy chapter 2 that says women are to be silent and not to speak or teach. She says that Jesus suffered in hell for you. He went and paid for your sins by suffering in hell. She believes in the prosperity gospel that everybody should be rich and that we are little gods. Not in the sense that the Bible uses that expression that those in authority are little gods because they have delegated authority from God, the supreme authority, but we're all, because we were created in the image of God, gods. And she values her revelation when she's under the Spirit over the Bible. In the Catholic Church, what is that called? A statement from ex-cathedra. You know, when she's under the influence of the Holy Spirit, her revelation is above the Bible. Very, very popular. Many, many women flock to hear this woman. Here's my favorite. This is the one that you should know is the is America's pastor and is exporting more of this junk to more places, to more people than anyone else. And just a few minutes of watching and listening to Joel Osteen and watching and listening to his wife Victoria, you will understand 2 Timothy 3 and 4 in a different way in just a few minutes by recognizing what it's describing. Fables. Stories. Mockery of, of the gospel. Jesus Christ is only an asterisk to his sermons. But he's in Houston, Texas, a conservative part of the country. If you watch the cameras pan the audience, they're in suits and ties. They are Texas gentlemen. They are Southern Baptists that have been, that have been raped from the Southern Baptist denomination because preachers in the Southern Baptist convention do not preach anymore and picked up by this charlatan. He's on, he is so good. He never does a funeral. He never does a wedding. You can never meet him. He writes his sermons out word for word, pause for pause, and memorizes them. He's gifted that way. Every single word, every hesitation, every time he closes his eyes to add to the element of the Spirit upon him is all planned, choreographed, memorized, and delivered. He is excellent. And he is always smiling. And he has got some great pearly white teeth. This guy doesn't know anything. When he sat with uh, Larry King for Larry King Live a few years ago, I have read, and I've read this past week, that he said, I don't know, about 100 times in in a 60-minute program. There's 20 minutes of advertising. So in about 40 minutes, he said, I don't know about 100 times, and he's America's pastor. Any controversial subject like, because Larry... King is a Jew. Joel, can Jews get into heaven without believing on Christ? 
Well, now, I don't know, Larry. I don't know about things like that. I've just decided to let God make those kind of decisions. And all I want to do is say nice things and make people feel good and make them feel happy. I don't know, Larry. So you see, he got three I don't knows in 15 seconds. He's awesome. But nobody can see it. He's America's pastor, and he doesn't know anything. But boy, he can write books. You know, it's time for you to break out. You guys that are only making so much money, you just need to break out. Just claim it. Get rid of your negative thinking. Just go to work tomorrow and claim it. And you'll get it. He is successful. Ten years ago, he got an advance on one of his books of $13 million. He doesn't take a salary. Let's bless him for his humility. He takes no salary from Lakewood Church. But four books ago, he got a $13 million advance from the publishing house for giving them the rights to publish it because they knew it was going to be a bestseller like it always is. This is his most current one. This is extreme prosperity gospel. There's no repentance. There's no holiness. There's nothing. Larry King to Joel. Is there only one way to, is there only one way to God? Joel, Jesus is the way to God. But Larry, there's many paths to Jesus. Oprah, a pagan. Tyler, a defender of the sodomites in our country, are his friends. They go to his church and he honors them in front of the whole congregation and tells them how he prays for them and what a blessing they've been to America. He never condemns anyone, even when people try to get him to condemn someone. He'll just keep going around and around. This is, this is the number one guy, Joel Osteen. His father, John Osteen, had that church in Houston, up to 8,000 members when he died. Joel worked behind him for 17 years, running the television production. Joel's been to college for two years. It was Oral Roberts University in television production. He is a master at television production. He had his father being viewed in every country of the world, and he, the Lord took his father out of the way, and Joel stepped in. He'd never spoken in public. He said his first sermon was just telling a bunch of stories, and when I listen to his sermons, I don't think he's changed since the first one. The reason I'm focusing on this tonight and pointing at him after telling you about the Word of God is this is one of the men out there that is attacking the Word of God and undermining the Word of God to millions of people. Millions. And exporting it around the world. Everybody wants to be like Joel. Now, does everybody know these four guys? We're supposed to mark and avoid. This guy is Perry Duggar. I don't think he's related to John Boy or Jim Bob or whatever that guy's name is in Arkansas or someplace with 35 children. <laughs> Perry Duggar. This is Brookwood. Of these four guys, he is by far the most conservative. I mean, he is old-fashioned, Bible-thumping, fire-breathing dragon in comparison to the other three. This is Brookwood. They're Baptists. They baptized by immersion. He was a Southern Baptist in Texas. He grabbed his two kids and his wife and came up here and said, you know, it's time that this conservative little neck of the woods gets a real church. He got the First Baptist Church of Malden to fund him. He, and this is, this is their story. Go to their website and read our story. One sentence describes what he had in mind. We will use contemporary music and the preaching will be positive, practical advice, period. Just like Joel. 
but he's not like Joel. He's much more conservative than Joel. This is Brookwood. Perry Duggar. It grew rapidly. Moved in beside the uh, Taylors. And their, their service, their records service was at 2009 at Easter when they broke 10,000 for their four services on that particular day. When you go and read their website in the last five years, they don't have anything to say about themselves because somebody else is, there's a new boy in town that's ravaged their attendance. Perry Duggar, Brookwood, funded by Southern Baptists to take their members away and put them into a contemporary church. Okay, this guy is an apostle in our town, and some of you have worked around him, Ron Carpenter. This is that church called World Redemption Outreach. That's an apostle right there, guys. When he takes that jacket off and strips down to a tank top and struts across his the front of his auditorium, it's awesome. Now, this guy is basically a Baptist. Sorry. This guy's a Baptist. This guy is a charismatic. There's healing done at his service. Perry Duggar don't want to stick his neck out and think he can heal anybody. He's just a little sharper than uh, the apostle. The apostle's a healer, a tongues talker, and so forth. Okay, now, this guy is wild. This is Stephen Furtick from Charlotte, and the church is called Elevation Church, and everyone that goes to it is called an elevator because they're only going up. His church is eight years old, and it has 18,000. It's a rock concert. It's a nightclub. He's a rock star. He is from Monk's Corner, South Carolina. He was chosen by the next guy to go up and do the same thing in Charlotte that New Spring is doing. He's a graduate of a Southern Baptist seminary. He has a Master of Divinity, and he is good. The guy to the right is Perry Noble, the pastor of New Spring. New Spring for 2013 averaged 27,188 per Sunday in attendance at 10 campuses. This is New Spring. This guy don't get around very much because he's just a klutzy country clown compared to Stephen Furtick and, and some of the others like Joel Osteen. Um, you know, Joel Osteen runs a comb through his hair once and he's got more class than Perry Noble has in a lifetime. Um, Perry Noble picked Stephen Furtick to go do what he did in, at New Spring up in Charlotte. And these are the guys around us. These are the false teachers this guy is up to 18,000. This one's at 27,000. You know, World Redemption has probably seen a great fall off for some other reasons that I am not mentioning. And Brookwood has probably seen a fall off because their website doesn't run beyond 2009 because this guy, this church, this movement, it's a rock concert. It's a rock concert. You gotta see it to believe it. This guy right here is famous right now and there's a lot of people attacking him that are on our side of the road, but they wouldn't agree with us, for his invention of spontaneous baptisms. In March of 2013, he baptized nearly 4,000 in one month called spontaneous baptisms where he has his handlers get up out of the audience when he says, have you ever even thought, have you had a thought of being baptized? Let's do it right now. They have changing rooms and clothes for everyone. It's, it's amazing what they do. 4,000! 
And eight years ago, there wasn't even a church called Elevation. How are they attacking us and attacking true Christianity, Bible Christianity, because we're Bible Christians? First of all, they do it by feelings. When when it's in italics, it's what they say. Sound doctrine does not feel right, so I do not like it. It just doesn't feel right to me. My feelings and others' feelings should reflect how God thinks because we're made in the image of God. They just start to think that way. Maybe you've had those thoughts sometimes when you've been dealing with some heavy doctrine in the Bible, like the hatred of God or eternal torment. You wonder to yourself, well, I I can't imagine that. Well, you can't imagine it because you're not near the holiness of God. God's holiness requires Him to do that of sinners. The Bible's hardness and harshness cannot be right. They're reasoning from their feelings, and they're attacking the Bible. I want you to notice that what I'm not doing tonight is dealing with Bible versions. This is beyond Bible versions. I'm going ahead and granting them that they're false versions of the Bible, but they don't even like those false versions. They don't really want to hear the Bible. They want their feelings to be melted. But our answer is, your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Why would you deal with something so tricky and sinister as your own heart? False teachers carefully choose everyone and design everything to make you feel real good and happy at those services. They are designed just like Joel's to make you feel good about yourself. They are not going to come down on you and step on your toes and blast you for all the things that the Bible tells us we should be doing to serve God. Taking up your cross daily and following Jesus Christ is not what they teach. So they do it with feelings. They're attacking the Word of God. Exalting feelings above what's on the printed page. Popularity. A little church like yours cannot possibly be right. There are churches exploding with fabulous growth. These are the things that they would say in their argument of popularity against the Bible and Bible preaching. Our attendance and baptisms are overwhelming. When there was a blog campaign against Perry Noble of New Spring about four years ago, he got his church together and said, I I only have one thing to say to all those people that are picking on us for saying that we're no longer preaching the Bible here. Come and look at our parking lot. See, that's that's the way that they think. Paul condemned such worldly reasoning in first that is first Timothy. Somebody did some terrible thing and put Corinthians in there. That is first Timothy chapter six, where it says that some assume that gain is godliness. But the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. The quality of a relationship with Jesus Christ trumps any amount of numbers, whether it's giving or attendance. What of Noah? How many were there there? Let's deal with eight. How many were in Elijah's day? We know there were 7,000, but how many did Elijah think there were? When he took attendance, how many were there? One. Ezekiel. Do we say zero if we don't count Ezekiel? (coughs) How many with Jesus? 120. And what does this mean when the Bible says that straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life, and how many go in there at? Few. So this whole argument against sound doctrine and Bible preaching based on popularity, God must be with us because look at the progress. God must be with us. Look at the numbers. And so are are you still a Bible Christian with me tonight? The Spirit. 
These are the charismatics. The Holy Spirit tells me what is right and wrong. The Spirit helps me interpret the Bible over any man. I don't need any preachers. All I need is the Spirit. Of course, that is why Bible teachers are worthless. Of course, that is why their Bible study is worthless. That is, the Bible teachers studying the Bible. But another spirit invades weak believers, according to 2 Corinthians 11. There's another spirit out there. Why in the world did God write the Bible, and why in the world did Jesus Christ give gifts to men to teach others if all you need is the Spirit? You should be able to see right through that very quickly. What did the Holy Spirit give to know God? All, that Second Peter one twenty one. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. How does the Holy Ghost tell us the truth? Right here. In the Bible. Inspired 31,101 verses for us. Genius, what is the sword of the Holy Spirit? Since you want to talk about how much you know by the Spirit, what is the sword of the Spirit? Can somebody help me from Ephesians 6.17? The Word of God. Hey, genius. John 14.26 and 16.13 were for the apostles. When Jesus Christ said that the Holy Spirit will cause you to remember everything that I taught you. That's to the apostles so that they could write it down. He will bring everything to your remembrance. The Holy Spirit doesn't bring everything to your remembrance, but He did to the apostles. With your unction, will you teach me? They go to 1 John 2 and think that they know all things because they have some unction and they have some anointing. I can hear them oinking, and they think they've got an anointing. And they don't need teachers, and they don't need the Bible because they've got the Spirit. Well, then what did God give us the Bible for? What did God give us teachers for? Why did Paul tell even the the generation of preachers that he ordained that they were going to have to study diligently and give themselves wholly to the work of reading in order to be able to come up with the truth? And if you don't rightly divide the word of truth and study as as a laboring workman, you'll be ashamed in your doctrine. Number four, sign gifts. Who needs a Bible? I babbled in tongues last night. I am obviously right since I was slain in the Spirit. God is in me with an anointing. I have great power. See, it's sign gifts. Genius, did you forget three J's? Janus, Jambres, and Judas. Did Could Judas pull a miracle once in a while? Oh, yeah. Could Judas pull a miracle every day? Could Judas preach pretty well? Could he he pull a miracle at night? Could he pull ten in a row? Could he heal the sick? Could he raise the dead? Could he do anything that an apostle could do? Yes. Was he of God? He was full of the devil. Your false doctrine says you deserve death, according to the verse I gave you in Tuesday's update, which says that if a prophet comes along and does a sign or a wonder, and it comes to pass. But he's preaching something different than what I've preached unto you. I'm testing you and proving you to see if you're going to follow that man or you're going to follow me. You should not listen to that man. He should be put to death. That, of course, is in the Old Testament when church and state were one. But they'll use sign gifts to attack the Bible. I don't need the Bible because look at the power that's operating through me because I babbled incoherently in tongues last night in the shower. Word of faith. I've already mentioned to you what this means. The name it and claim it. The most powerful words for my life are those I say. You ought to hear them. 
By only saying positive things, you will obtain them. This is name it and claim it religion. It's witchcraft, sorcery, or some other form of paganism. Whatever you want to call it. Man shall live by every word of God. Not by your words. Not by anyone else's words. But by the words of God. Prosperity. God is blessing me, so I must be right. I'm living the good life because God is good to me. Genius. What about a camel? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. What about barns? Was there a man that built barns and thought that he was having the good life? Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. What did God say to him that night? I need the first two words. Thou fool. And fool's gold is from Proverbs one thirty-two that sometimes fools are prospered to destroy. Do you know what the Bible says of gain? They that will be rich fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts that drown men in destruction and perdition. Nebuchadnezzar had a year of gain after Daniel warned him. Did that mean anything? Should he have concluded from his year of gain that Daniel was wrong? Or is the Bible still true? Do you know there was a year of gain? Bible attack number seven, reason. Faith is reasonable, so everything should make sense. Not to the natural mind. The reasonable man will always know the truth. This is heresy from a Frenchman and from Bill Nye. If you watch that whole debate, that's how he reasoned. The carnal mind is enmity against God, the Bible says, and man's mind must be changed for it to ever realize the truth, and God will change it in regeneration, and then we're to change it by the Word of God. Number eight, testimonials. I got saved hearing Joni Erickson and Tim Tebow. An attack against the Word of God. Why would they ever put a Tim Tebow up on a platform? The man is a total professional failure. He is an unemployed, total professional failure. Why would they put him up on a platform? Because he'll draw people. People want to hear someone rather than hearing God himself or hearing the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to hear a winner? I'll tell you about a winner. The Lord Jesus Christ won the victory over sin, death, hell, and the devil. And he destroyed all his enemies and waiting for the great day in which he'll make them all his footstool and deliver the kingdom up to God. And he will be all in all and he'll have everything under the reign of God. Testimonials. Their words brought tears and a new commitment to my heart. What a pity. I thought that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the testimony of an NFL star. Did you hear how that Christian won the lottery? Like testimonials should move you. Only the Bible brings faith and works effectually, as I've shown you. Let God be true, but every man a liar. How about music attacking the Bible? Colossians three, sixteen. When it when it deals with singing, it says, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly," and then it goes into mute. It's the same sentence. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. They attack the Bible by making music. Music, instrumental music, amplified, thought-drowning, body-moving music, the central power of a meeting. The music at my church puts me in the Spirit. Yes, it does. It's just not the Holy Spirit. Any one of those of you that have ever played around with rock and roll music in the past or some other form of music, you know that it can put you in the Spirit very quickly and it puts the Spirit in you very quickly. Seekers want to feel the music, not just hear it. 
Our own punkers write our church music for us. No wonder your lyrics are worthless. Elevation, New Spring, they have their punkers writing their little rhymes that they repeat over and over again for their music. Musical instruments are condemned by the Bible. We've been over that before. So it cuts out the entire aspect of that mind-numbing, body-moving, pulsing, electronic, amplified, over-the-top noise. It's gone. If you take away the instrumental music. Music that moves the flesh is against the Bible. We're supposed to be singing with the Spirit and with the understanding. Not dance moves. But there's an attack against the Bible. Rick Warren has preached his method of building a church to hundreds of thousands of pastors around the world over the last 25 years. And he very quickly comes to terms when he gets those pastors in front of them about the painful volume the music must be brought to and it must be contemporary music that you don't like. In order to, He talks about when his church exploded when he went to contemporary worldly music in his church at very high volume levels. He's very specific about it because it's essential. You ought to see what the, what, uh, Joel's church there in Houston does before Joel gets to the microphone. Music is so important to these mute movements. They're basically nightclubs with loud driving music that gets people all excited like you're at a rock concert. And then your rock star comes out for a short little presentation of positive virtues and excitement and group psychology to get involved in some project of feeding a couple 10,000 people in Charlotte with sandwiches and you think you've heard the gospel. And you go home and you think what a wonderful day we had at church today. Bible attack number 10, movies. Gibson's The Passion of the Christ is going to save millions. Some people said billions, but we'll just use millions. We need more than just dry preaching from a Bible is what they'll say. We did a theater takeover for Son of God movie. Places like Southern California, where Rick Warren's Saddleback Church is, they took over the local theaters and rented every screen and every seat for the Son of God movie. You know, they can get crowds out to watch a movie. Our answer to them is, the image of Jesus and the action of Jesus in your movies is another Jesus. It's not the one of the Bible. The one the Bible didn't look like that, didn't act like that, and didn't talk like that. You know, you take a good soundtrack and you combine it with images... And you've got flesh manipulation, which is what movies are all about. And they're experts at it. Number 11, change lives. Our church has gobs of change lives by our gospel. You should see our video testimonials of changes. Fruit has to be Bible fruit, or it's an evidence of heresy. Just because someone changes doesn't mean very much at all. Why did they change until what did they change? Pharisees change lives. Matthew 23, 15 says... Jesus said about the Pharisees that they travel land and sea to make one more proselyte, and when he is made, change life. He's two times the child of hell you are. That's what it says in Matthew 23, 15. You want to see change lives? Then go watch some Mormon promo videos, or go watch an AA. That's for Alcoholics Anonymous video, and you'll see change lives. And there isn't any gospel involved in either one of them. Number 12, evangelism. I had to deal with this one today. Pastors don't know what to do except for evangelism. All that matters is we tell the world about Jesus. 
This is how they mock us. Are you fishers of men or keepers of the aquarium? Boat yourself. Okay, this one here. This is Perry Noble. This is Steve. Boat yourself on Bible study until you cannot move. As if if you spend your time studying the Bible and learning theology, you end up being a worthless Christian. All we want to be is the kind of Christians that the Bible teaches. Paul's epistles of both kinds, when I say both kinds, general epistles to churches and pastoral epistles to pastors, show church life, and it's not the Great Commission. So we ask them, are you shepherds of sheep or leaders of the pack? Who runs in a pack? Wolves. Back to the Bible for us. For we are not as many in Paul's day, which corrupt the Word of God. In Paul's day. In Paul's day. For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. And that's how we want to preach and talk about the Scriptures in our church. Paul told Timothy, I charge thee. This is serious business in a personal letter to Timothy. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the Word. Don't do anything else. Preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. When was the last time Joel Osteen reproved? He never has. Rebuked. He never has. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. This is where we should get our joy from. The statutes of the Lord, because they're right. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. Moreover, if this isn't enough for you, moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. We come back to the Bible. I hope that we want to be Bible Christians, that we want to keep our church a a Bible Christian church, a Bible preaching church, a Bible believing church, and that we are going to stand in the Word of God if the whole Christian world goes against us, following their rock stars like Joel Osteen and Stephen Furtick. Lord, help us to that end. We're thankful for the truth that you've given us. We're thankful for the Bible. Where we're not living it perfectly in our lives, Lord, show it to us. Where we're not practicing it perfectly in our corporate worship, show it to us. We want to follow the Bible and be known in heaven and on earth that we are following the Scriptures as closely and as faithfully as possible. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Stand with me.